Well, hello, listeners, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 286 of Sustainable Minimalists, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, we are discussing the 10 principles of intuitive eating, and more specifically, we're discussing what a life that's free from counting calories, food guilt, and diet cycling can look like in real life. Diet culture is so pervasive, and it affects all of us. You have likely, if you're like most of us, you've likely internalized messages about self-worth and size. You've also likely found yourself quite confused and quite perhaps a bit shameful about your eating habits here or there or always. The reality is we are sold unhealthy food that detracts from our overall health, and then we're sold, quite literally sold the promise, often in the form of a book or a program or an online course, of yet another restrictive diet as the ultimate solution to all our food-related woes. Listener Alexis reached out to me and she asked that I cover the topic of mindful eating on the podcast. And what a great episode suggestion. Thank you so much, Alexis, because intentional living in all facets means slowing down, shutting off the societal messaging that doesn't work for us, and making decisions, including food and eating decisions, that are aligned with our goals. Here today to help me flesh out this super important topic is Claire Tuning. Claire is a registered dietitian and a certified intuitive eating counselor. Claire, I'm really thrilled to have you on the podcast. Tell us who you are, what you do, and da, 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 one fun fact about you. I'd love to do all of those things. So as you said, my name is Claire Tuning. I am a registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor by trade. I have my own private practice where I work virtually with individuals, both one-on-one and in some of my online courses to create a healthier relationship with food so we can ditch dieting, have less stress around food, feel better in our bodies, all of those things. A fun fact about me. Oh, I have so many fun facts, but if I had to choose one, my all-time favorite food combination is peanut butter and jelly. It's a classic. We can never go wrong with it unless you're allergic, but even to this day, I find a way to have some sort of variation of a PB&J pretty much every single day. So that's my fun fact. (laughs) Absolutely. Peanut butter and jelly all day. But I have to say, personally, it has to be on white bread. Whole wheat, ugh, not for me. Yeah, I'm totally with you. Using a different bread will change the vibe of a sandwich completely. The classic PB&J is most definitely on white bread, but I'll eat it on literally anything. White bread, wheat, I would even eat it on a ciabatta. I know that's that might be controversial, but I would do it. <laughs> I know you're a registered dietitian, so I'm just curious, how did you find yourself so passionate about this career that you made it your life's work to help others create healthy relationships with food? From about the time that I was in like middle school, like my tween age years, I was already really interested in food, mostly because my dad is a really wonderful cook, not classically trained as a chef, but he could have been. And I would spend a lot of time in the kitchen with him, experimenting and exploring different flavors and helping make dinner, lunch, all of the above. (laughs) From an early age, I was not only packing my own lunches, but I was making lunches for my parents. That's how much I just love being involved with food. So I knew from that early age, I wanted to do something food related. 
as I got a little bit older, I learned being a registered dietitian was a thing. And I thought it would be really cool to help people understand more about food and nutrition in their bodies. So I went to school to become a dietitian. Long story short, in my schooling to become a dietitian, my own relationship with food suffered a lot because a lot of the education was very weight focused. It was very diet centric. It was good food, bad food, all of this stuff that we hear in diet culture now. So my own relationship with food took a negative turn. Luckily, I found the intuitive eating framework for any of your listeners who are not familiar. It is a book that has had many renditions at this point. I think we're at the fourth edition, but it's called Intuitive Eating by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. I found the first edition of this book in my first year out of school. And from that moment, I knew there was no other way for me to practice as a dietitian that I was going to become an intuitive eating or a non-diet dietitian, as we call ourselves. I wasn't going to coach on weight or diets, but I was going to take a food positive approach and a weight neutral approach because I had seen the damages that that dieting approach had had for me. It sounds like what you're saying there is that Diet culture, which is so prevalent, so pervasive, diet culture is completely antithetical to intuitive eating. Would that be accurate? Yeah. So intuitive eating is a framework of 10 guiding principles that are health at every size aligned and they are research informed. So it's not some woo woo. There's no science. What the heck is this? It's actually a framework that I, I said before was built out by these dietitians. And this framework is a really wonderful approach to healing from the negative physical, emotional, and mental effects that the dieting cycle and diet culture has on everyone to varying extents. So intuitive eating is the way out of that negative relationship with food that is often gifted to all of us by diet culture. I say that with great irony and sarcasm. You mentioned there the physical, mental, and emotional effects, almost all I'm guessing of which would be negative of diet culture. So that's a great place to start. What are the problems, in your opinion, with diet culture? We could take the entire time of this episode to talk about that. But if I had to sum it up, one of the biggest issues and the biggest challenges with dieting in general is dieting is unsustainable because it is based in some form of restriction, whether that's we're cutting out a food group or an entire macronutrient category. Our brains as humans, we are not wired to live in a restrictive relationship with food. A, because we need food and enough of it to survive. So we have to eat every single day. And the moment that we are told a certain food is off limits, we shouldn't eat it, it's bad, we are going to fixate on that food more. So we see the problem now when we're being sold these diets, when we're buying into these restrictive eating plans, they're going to send us into this cycle where we're sold a solution, quote unquote, that creates more problems in our relationship with food. And because of those problems, we seek out a new diet, a new approach. And at the end of the day, 
all diets are relatively the same because they all are based in restriction, right? So it puts us into this cycle that's not going to be sustainable. It also puts us into weight cycling, right? Our weight goes up, our weight goes down, and that can have negative health impacts. It really negatively impacts our mental and emotional health as well. You know, it has been shown that dieters or chronic dieters specifically have lower levels of self-confidence. They have higher levels of body dissatisfaction, all of these things. What do you say to clients who say that living in restriction, living in a calorie deficit is the only way to lose weight? That's a wonderful question. I think it's really helpful here if we bring in the goal of intuitive eating or the goal of a non-diet approach. Now, this is probably going to sound different to your listeners if this is the first time that they're hearing of this non-diet approach. But unlike dieting, the goal of intuitive eating is not weight loss or weight manipulation. The goal of intuitive eating is to cultivate this healthy and this positive and sustainable relationship with food, our bodies, and health. Something that we focus on in the non-diet framework, instead of focusing on calorie deficit, don't eat this, eat less, move more, all of these things, we like to focus on health-promoting behaviors. Because at the end of the day, weight is not a behavior right? Our weight and so many things about our health are influenced by things that are outside of our control, the social determinants of health. But these health-promoting behaviors might be things like focusing on hydration, eating a variety of foods that sound good to us. Are we getting colors? Are we getting fiber? Are we having enjoyment in our food? Are we connecting to our body's cues and learning things like our hunger cues and what our fullness sensations sound like? Are we finding ways to move that feel good and safe for our bodies if that's accessible to us? So focusing on these health-promoting behaviors and working to heal that relationship with food is the goal and the purpose of intuitive eating rather than that sole focus on weight loss. As you're talking there, I'm thinking about the gigantic mindset shift that needs to first occur, I would say, before anybody embarks on an intuitive eating path. We have to completely unsubscribe to what we've been taught from birth, especially us women, skinny's best, (laughs) count those calories. Those lies have been ingrained in us so deeply. For clients who come to you who are interested in a more body positive approach, how do you help coach them away from (laughs) the negative societal, again, lies that are so deeply ingrained in our own psyches. Before any of the goodness happens here with this different approach, we have to shift so much of our thinking around food, health, bodies, movement, all of the above. And that can be really hard. And the unlearning process can take time. It's really important that we keep in mind what has taken years decades, multiple decades for some individuals to learn 
is going to take time to unlearn and rewire in our brains. It's also interesting because I was referring earlier in this conversation to these principles of intuitive eating. I told you there were 10, there are these guiding principles. The first principle that I will always start out with in conversation with clients is reject the diet mentality. In order to adopt this different approach to food, we have to shift how we're thinking about it. So getting away from the idea of diets in general, understanding that all of those failed dieting attempts that many of us have had in our history, they didn't fail because you did something wrong. They failed because they were never engineered to work in the first place. That's not the way our bodies are meant to function around food, eating as little as possible all the time and cutting out all of these food groups. So really starting to remove that sense of blame and getting curious as to what it might look like to relate to food in a different way. How might my life change for the better if I'm not having these stressed out and obsessive thoughts around food? What could I have time for? What could I have the energy for if I wasn't spending all of this time in my fitness pal, logging everything that I'm eating? I should say I have a unhealthy relationship with eating and dieting personally. However, something shifted for me when I started looking at eating as a means of getting sustenance. So what do I mean by that? I mean that instead of eating to fulfill my taste buds, thinking I need to eat a food right now, which food can I eat at this precise moment that will sustain me? Are there any other mindset shifts that need to come first before listeners even think about going down an intuitive eating path? Yeah. Well, I think what you just said is actually a really helpful way to think about food for a lot of people, especially if we're looking for a place to start making amends with ourselves when it comes to food, viewing food as essential for living. One reality that all humans have in common is we all have to eat. We have to eat every single day, hopefully multiple times a day in order to live and in order to thrive, especially. So we want to eat to fuel our bodies, to make sure we have energy, both mentally and physically, but we also want to eat for our taste buds at times because being able to enjoy food and have a pleasurable experience is an experience that's like, so wonderful and being able to use it in celebrations and to celebrate our culture and traditions. So that's a great way to look at it. Now to your question specifically of a place where we can start changing how we look at food, I like to invite people to consider how we are talking to ourselves about food. What words do you use in your mind when you look at food, when you're deciding what to eat, when you're looking at food at the menu on a restaurant? And how is that language making you feel? So for example, are you using words like good, bad, clean, dirty, the right foods, the wrong foods, right? All of these moralizing words. Are we using that to talk about food? And if so, what kind of relationship with food is that leading us to have? What might it be like to use more neutral 
descriptive language when talking about food. So for example, this might sound really rudimentary when I say it, but it can be a really big mindset shift or a place to start. So for example, what I'm eating, it's crunchy. (laughs) It's yellow. I don't know what's a crunchy yellow food, a bell pepper, right? It's crunchy. It's yellow. It's refreshing when I eat it. Um, Gives me energy. Maybe I have a certain memory associated with this food. Because if we have always been using these diety words, these moralizing terms, and we start to interrupt that with a question, how can I describe this in a more neutral way? That gives us an opportunity to interact with that food in a way that's more neutral or maybe eventually more positive than we have done in the past when we were only thinking about good food, bad food, too many calories, too much this, too much that. That really speaks to me, Claire. Last night I was eating nachos. Please don't judge me, listeners. I love nachos. And as I'm eating them, I was thinking these are fattening. How many of these can I eat without feeling completely guilty tomorrow morning. As I'm eating these, I want to enjoy them, but I actually can't enjoy them because of all the negative thoughts going through my head. Nachos are bad. Nachos are fattening. Cheese makes you bloated, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that really speaks to me. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to pause for this week's sponsor. And then when we come back, Claire, I'm going to ask you more about the 10 principles of intuitive eating. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. And we're back with Claire Tuning. She is a registered dietitian. She is also the host of the Yours Truly podcast. Claire, I'm really excited to 
check out your podcast after we say goodbye. But before the break, we were talking about changing the words that we use to describe the foods we're eating. And I talked about my last night nachos binge. What are some of the principles of intuitive eating? You mentioned before there were 10. Give us a couple of them for listeners who are, like me, throwing their hands in the air saying, oh, yes, this is exactly what I need in my life. (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to. The first one we already talked about earlier in the episode, reject the diet mentality. So two of the principles are related to relearning or reconnecting to our body's hunger and fullness cues. Now, I like to be really clear here because I don't want to misrepresent intuitive eating or reduce it only to hunger and fullness. So I like to say that intuitive eating is not, I repeat, not the hunger and the fullness diet. So what I don't mean is we're only going to eat when we're hungry and we have to stop when we're full because that's not how real life works. If that is the rule, quote unquote, that we're placing on our eating, then this just becomes another diet. So when we are talking about exploring our hunger and our fullness cues, this can be really helpful to make our eating experiences feel a little bit more connected. What does hunger feel like in my body? And not just that ravenous, unpleasant level of hunger or hangriness, as some people like to call it, but what are some of my more pleasant hunger cues? How does my body let me know I'm hungry so that I can eat regularly throughout the day? Because we know that the more we restrict and the more time we let go between our eating experiences, the more out of control our eating can feel. And that's not because we have no willpower or we're doing a bad job. It's because our body needs fuel. And when we don't have that fuel and we don't have that energy, and then we open up the pantry or we go to the fridge, our body's going to do everything in its power to want to eat, paying no attention to how we're feeling because we're in survival mode. On the flip side, we're also learning to get more familiar with how our body communicates fullness, not those loud, I'm stuffed, I'm uncomfortable type of fullness cues, but What more subtle cues do we have to let us know, hey, I'm good for now? And the wonderful thing about intuitive eating when there are no more rules placed on our eating, ending or hitting pause on a positive eating experience that we're enjoying is no longer the last supper, right? We can reinitiate this meal or the snack an hour from now two hours from now, right? so you see here as we are removing rules from our eating, it opens up a little bit more space for us to learn these cues and for us to be more connected. It's like how you were saying earlier before the break, when you were talking about your nacho experience, you said something along the lines of, I wanted to be enjoying this. I wanted to be liking what I was eating, but because I was using that negative language, I wasn't able to enjoy other clients have shared with me that because they have so many of those rules, they're unable to connect to their body's cues throughout the experience. Instead of being in their body, they're in their minds and they're in the rules. Discover the satisfaction factor is also a principle of intuitive eating. So if you've ever been on any of those diets, you or any of our listeners that have made eating 
a very transactional experience, right? It's calories in, calories out. That's all that matters. Or it has really stripped the delicious flavors and the enjoyment from eating. But this principle invites us to actually start to send a little bit of attention back to our taste buds. What do I like? What do I find enjoyable? How can I start to create a relationship with those foods that I love where I'm no longer feeling out of control or frenzied around them? Because like I said before, it's not the last supper anymore. We don't have to eat them all on Sunday because diet starts Monday. What might it be like to incorporate some of those foods throughout the week so we have that consistency and we can habituate to those foods over time, which is just a fancy way of saying the more we get used to having these foods around that used to be off limits, the more normalized they become and the better we feel around them, the less out of control things are. You mentioned a lot there that I want to clarify. You mentioned the satisfaction principle. You mentioned reconnecting our body's hunger and fullness cues. But I'm wondering, though, how does that all work for emotional eaters? There's a large facet of the population who eat out of emotion. Can intuitive eating, mindful eating help them? I am beaming as you ask this. I know our listeners can't see my face, but yes, the intuitive eating framework actually really helps us to understand more about our emotional connection to food. One of the principles that I didn't get to, but I'll touch on since you asked, it's actually the seventh principle of intuitive eating. It's called cope with your emotions with kindness. And what this principle helps us to see is that anytime we are thinking about food, anytime we are considering turning to food, that is happening for a reason. We don't think about food randomly for no reason. Sometimes we might be thinking about food because we're hungry. It's actually a really solid hunger cue when we start thinking about food more, when that's all we can focus on. So us thinking about food in that moment is indicative of the unmet need for fuel, for energy. Now in an emotional time, we might also be thinking about food and we can view that as a signal, right? What is my body trying to communicate to me? What unmet need do I have? And the question becomes, because how we approach emotional eating in this framework, we say that food can be one of the tools that we turn to. It just doesn't have to be the only tool. Because sometimes in the height of an emotion, using food as a coping skill or a coping mechanism might be one of the only things that makes sense. It might be one of the only things we have at our disposal. And other times we can ask the question, what am I hoping this food is going to do for me right now? Maybe I'm hoping this food is going to give me something to do. Maybe it's going to be a distraction. Maybe it's something that I can look forward to. Now that I've identified that need, is food going to be the thing that most effectively ticks that box? Or is there another tool that might meet my needs a little bit more in that moment? For the emotional eaters out there, in your toolbox, eating might be the tool that you most often reach for in times of stress, but it's not the only tool in the toolbox. All right, so I'm on board, Claire. I'm ready. For listeners like me who are ready to hop on, what are some very first, very beginner 
tips, first steps you have for me and people listening like me? Great question. So first, assess how are we thinking about food? What language are we using? And what might it be like to use some of those more neutral terms? That's a really great place to start. Second, I would recommend to eat regularly throughout the day. Now, I know that seems like, uh, is that it? Like, is that the only tip? But we live in a world and we live in a culture that preaches time and time again, eat less. And oftentimes we say, eat less, do more. And how ironic is that, that we are expected to survive on so little while going a thousand miles an hour. So eating regularly throughout the day main meals, right? Your three meals during the day, some snacks in between if needed, but by eating throughout the day and eating a variety of food groups as well, not cutting out anything that we aren't allergic to, or that isn't necessary to cut out for a medical need. By doing this, we feel more energized. Our blood sugar can be more stable throughout the day. We're not hitting these high highs and these low lows. So when we're going into our meals and snacks, we aren't feeling as out of control. We aren't feeling as frenzied or chaotic because we are not starting from that point of unpleasant hunger. Final tip that I would offer, this kind of goes back to something that I would tackle within that first principle of intuitive eating. But since you and I connected on social media, I can venture to guess that a lot of your listeners probably find you that way. I would recommend doing a social media detox, a clean out, whatever that might be, really going through your feeds, looking at the content that you are seeing related to food and body, asking yourself, is this content helping me? Is this coming from a qualified professional, right? That's important. Or is this content really damaging my mental health, my relationship with food? Is it coming from someone who doesn't ever cite a claim? They have no background to be talking about nutrition, right? So really assessing where we're getting our information from and filling that feed with uplifting voices that have more positive messages around food and body to share. I'm wondering, Claire, if you have any final words for listeners who are interested but are scared by what you're saying. Before you mentioned the concept of removing the rules around eating, I think for a lot of listeners, a lot of women in particular, that can be really scary. I mentioned on the podcast over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago now, that I took the scale out of my bathroom <laughs> and I hid it under my bed because I was sick of getting on it every morning and most mornings starting my day feeling bummed out. So I just decided, <laughs> let's start the day on a better foot. Let's just put the scale away. That was a year and a half ago. I have not put the scale back and I haven't felt better. But that was really scary to remove that I don't know, check and balance, so to speak, around my size. But removing rules around eating, removing rules around weight, removing commonly held, long-held principles around size and worth, that can be really scary. So do you have any words of encouragement for those listeners? I really appreciate you bringing this up, and I'm happy that we'll be able to end on this note because you're right. 
more times than not, when people reach out to me, if they're reaching out for coaching, or even if they're just sending me a message on social, there usually is some sort of theme of, this sounds wonderful. I cannot wait to have a better relationship with food. And oh my God, (laughs) this is terrifying. And I think that's really important to validate because like you were saying, if we have been eating with rules, with restrictions, if we have been clinging to the comfort and the safety of diets for a long while, it can be really jarring to hear someone, even if they are a nutrition professional, it can be really jarring to hear someone say, let go of the rules around eating and offer yourself permission to eat foods can be scary. A lot of individuals who have a history with dieting have probably gone through a period of time in their life when they have tried to get away from the diet. They have reached a breaking point. They're like, this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. And what has happened likely as a result of that is what we call the yo-yo or like the rebound effect where it's, okay, all rules are off. I'm going to eat all the things. And this is happening because of that restriction. It's like a pendulum. If I take a pendulum and I pull it so far in one direction and then I let it go, it's going to swing in the equal and opposite direction. The same thing is true when it comes to eating with a lot of rules, with a lot of restriction. When you abandon that, you do have many experiences with food that likely feel out of control. And we don't like that as humans, especially if the reason why you turned to the diet in the first place was to feel more in control around food or to have more perceived control around your eating. So oftentimes what happens to people is it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I knew I couldn't be trusted around food. I knew this would happen. I knew I have no willpower, all of these things. So then we retreat back to our same diet under a different name. So If that resonates with any of your listeners, the fear is valid if you've lived that yo-yo before. It might feel scary. It might feel out of the comfort zone at first, especially as we're exploring these principles and as they're new and as we're learning how to relate to food in this new way. But it's not going to be something that sends us back into restriction that leaves us cycling for the rest of our life. So kind of uh, relates back to that question that I shared earlier, like, what is my negative relationship with food? What is it costing me? Is it costing me my physical, mental, and emotional health? Is it costing me time with family? Is it costing me the ability to pursue this thing that I really want to do because I'm always fearful of food, right? And what might it be like? What in my life might shift or might change if I start to explore letting go of some of these rules and maybe seeking out support in that process if that's you know something that would make the transition feel less scary but that is what i would encourage people to think about listeners i so hope you enjoyed my conversation with claire tuning you can find her at claretuning.com she also has an amazing instagram page with some really uplifting content you can find her on instagram at claretuning i've linked to her in this week's show notes if that's easier. I will see you on Thursday for another episode. Reach out if you need me. Thank you as always for continuing to tune in. I'll see you Thursday. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. 
Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. 